Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. Here with a new episode of Live with Greg with my mom, Addie Carter. Howdy. Hi. I'm so glad to see you. Glad to see you. Yeah. So I thought of a question. Okay. How do you deal with problems and still live in this world and see it as a place you're glad to be in? Now, when you say problems, what kind of problems? Personal or the world or what? When you say problems, how do well, we deal with problems? I think even the world problems are personal because we take them personally, right? Um, I take them. I don't take them personal. I take them as part of life that, you know, it's all in the Bible what's going to happen. And if we have read it or have been taught it, we know. So what's going on is natural. It's what's going to be. So I don't get upset about it or anything like that. I accept it. I know people as, in general can do the human things to try to prevent things, but I don't worry about it. It's not a problem to me. It's a situation. It's a, the future. It's the event, event of life. That's how I accept it. What do you think? Did I ask you a question? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, for example, this question came up because Tony was mentioned that there was a neighbor who had created trouble, and you went over and gave that neighbor a piece of your mind. Well, he didn't create trouble. He thought he was um, making a maintenance-free backyard. And he didn't check with me. He checked with my neighbor next door. I'm on a corner, and I'm on a mound, I call it. So I'm the highest house on a hill. So he builds a gazebo, and I said, okay. But the problem is I don't have much of a backyard, and so I can see all of this. And it's attractive, but he put it like within a foot of my fence. And then that's only about 50 feet from my bedroom window. So I didn't complain about that. Then I looked out there one day and I said, okay, what is he erecting now? And he was putting a second gazebo type with a roof. And I said, oh no, you're, you're affecting my view, you know. And so Anthony says, so I told Anthony, don't you think you should say something to him? And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, he was out there, and we have, I had been very accommodating now. I even took part of the fence down so he could get concrete over there, so I'm a good neighbor. But all of a sudden, I says, well, you didn't check with me to see about my view. And he says, oh, I checked with the lady next door to you. I said, yeah, but she's down low. 
I'm the only one on this little mound here. So I think you need to correct that. I don't want to see two roofs 50 feet from my bedroom window. So to make a long story short, he compromised and we said, well, raise it up. So I just see four sticks, four, you know, two by fours or four by eights or whatever you call them. And so made him a happy camper because he was said he had spent a lot of money to do this project. Um, I don't think it was a problem. I think, again, it was a situation. You know, my life is very quiet and peaceful. And I don't blame everything on the devil. You know, that he's busy. I don't say that because we blame everything on the devil that's negative. I just said, well, he just didn't really get a permit and really check this out. He didn't really consider me. And then he was creating other problems that he was having. And so he finally decided to consult with my son, Anthony, and he listened to him. But meanwhile, I have two beautiful buildings or what do you call them, gazebos. And it wasn't a problem. It just bent me out of shape a little bit. But I wouldn't do anything uh, to stress myself because stress makes you ugly. And I'm trying so hard to stay attractive. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing a great job. (laughs) So it wasn't a problem. It was a, a situation. And it hasn't been corrected, but it's not going to worry me or stress me. So is that something you've learned in life, is that a situation can arise and you can interact with that situation, but you still have joy being alive? Well, I think myself personally is I'm 80. And... You haven't lived 80 years or 60 years or 50 years without experiences, events around you. Uh, You may call them problems. You may call them situations. Uh, I call them events. Um, So I just deal with it as is there. You know, I feel like in our lives as human beings, as people, I decided we're a book. You a book. Um, my best girlfriend Barbara is a book. Uh, my daughter is a book. Adopted daughter there. Everybody is a book. The problem with this book, we're born. That's the beginning, the introduction, and there's an ending. But we don't always start at the beginning of the book as we're living. Every page is a page in your life, a day in your life. And then every day, every page has a sentence or a paragraph. And you have to read it just like a book. Now, if you get ahead of it, it's going to confuse you. You're going to get ahead of the story. You're going to get ahead of your life's game, what's planned for you. So I've learned to say, my life is a book. And this is a new chapter in my life. This is a new page. This is a paragraph that I have to read and pay attention to. So every space, every paragraph that I'm in, I take heed to it. I listen to it. I learn from it. Sometimes I make a mistake or it tells me I made a mistake because I got ahead of the story, ahead of what's supposed to be for me. And so I learn to try to correct that. 
stop jumping ahead because I move pretty fast. Like all humans, we go fast. We have our goals. Most of them are for material things, to be successful. We forget about people. We forget about each other. We forget about being considerate to people, each other, respecting each other. So that's why I take Every Person is a beautiful book. I read you, and if you come to me, or we cross each other, and we, I have something to share, you have something to share. This is how I've progressed in life, and it seems like it's gotten a little more pronounced, you know. Um, it just makes me glow when I see do something for people. And I, even when I had children was raising them, I pick and choose who I want to come into my home. I pick and choose who I want to be friends with. And I think that's what everybody should do. Sure, there's a lot of people that want to be my friend, but I choose to say they're associates. They're nice, they're good people. But my spirit won't say we're best friends. I have one best friend, just one. And I would do anything for her. So you just have to learn to slow down, pay attention to people, and see what their needs are, or what they need to hear from you today. I'm not suggesting anything and telling them what to do. But I will listen to you and talk to you and share my experience and then maybe you'll figure out what to do with your chapter that day or your sentence that day. And you'll figure it out. And I can, you know, and I'll say, well, pay attention, just listen. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm suggesting just pay attention. Slow down. Think about it before you do it. And I had to learn from my mistakes, trust me. I done made so many mistakes, we ain't gonna, we're not going to even talk about them, okay? <laughs> but you asked, how did I get to this point? Experiences. That's what got me to this point. But then I had a lot of it in me, because my father used to say to me, and he and I talked more his last few years of life than we did, you know, growing up, because what do I have as a child to offer him? But as adults, he taught me so much, and I listened to him. He said, but you're teaching me. He says, how do you f talk to people and have, s you always find something good in everyone. I said, because there is some good in everyone. Sometimes we get damaged, but there's good in everyone. Pay attention, and you may find it. That's the way I am. So, like with this instance with your neighbor in the gazebos, your experience in there is you know there's some good in this individual. Yeah, he didn't mean any harm. Right. He's on a dream. He's just excited. He just goes, he says, and get his computer, and oh, I want this perfect backyard. And it's his dream. And I'm not going to interfere with it. But you should also consider people around you. Right. Their dreams. Yeah. yeah. And my dreams is just a pie shape of a view. But I want it. Right. That's all. Just, I'm not asking for a panoramic. Just a pie shape. <laughs> and you don't put your obstacles in my pie shape? Then I'm going to say something. So do you, like, it really worked out? Like, you're happy with your... Oh. I'm not going to stress out behind that. Why should I? He, hey, he's happy. 
I'm miserable? No, it is not going to be like that. So it is a conscious choice to choose joy. It is. It's up to you to figure it out. Would you rather be miserable and, you know, thinking evil all the time? Or would you just say, I'll put it in God's hands. <laughs> He'll take care of it for me. It may not be today, but it'll be taken care of in the right way. Ah, now there's two. All right, so your father was an individual that showed you you could choose joy? I wouldn't say my father did it all. I have to say it was a choice. You saw in life that you had this choice. I had a choice. We all have a choice to be miserable. Uh, We used to use the word evil, you know, or just be a good spirit. And I get more joy out of being a good spirit. I just, I just... Uh, don't help everyone. I don't give money to people on the street. But if the spirit is right, and I'm a touch person, I have to hug you and I have to touch you. And I'm not a spiritual person. I just believe that I have all this inside of me, all this spirit and glow and happiness and love. But a lot of it is respect. I don't know what happened in my life because it wasn't easy when I was young, but I had to grow within myself. And I'm an only child to a point, so I learned to be by myself and to just watch and think and not criticize. There's so much criticism, so much negativity, and I just don't deal with it. Not in my house, it's quiet, it's peaceful. It's not fancy. It's simple. I'm not in debt for this chair. You see, I only live within my means, and it makes me happy to realize that I can do that. That it does these material things make some of them make me happy. Now I wouldn't have it if it didn't make me happy. But a lot of this in my home, my kid's father built those tables over there. They're living with the past, but they're proud of it. The couch that you're sitting in this chair was my mother's. We re-upholstered it, and we're happy. Because we can say, my son's, this is my grandmother's chair. And now it's mom's chair, you know? My best thing that I got that just made me glow was my pew over there, a church pew. I wanted a two-seater church pew in that corner because it was a dead corner. And my cousins surprised me and they are their church closed down and they moved and blah blah blah. So they she and her roommate brought this pew over and it's just a joy. That pew is over a hundred years old and it's autographed by the person that built it. And it has original uh, offertory paper envelope where you put your money in. And it's, you know, things like that would make me happy. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I don't ask for a whole lot, but I like things that are meaningful. I don't like dust collectors. 
I like music boxes because I can play them and enjoy the music. I like people around me that can give me peace and joy and make me smile and happy. And if you can't do that, you won't get in. You won't come across my threshold. I just don't like it. I don't tolerate it. I just want to be peaceful. How have you found ways to let someone know they're not welcome and keep the drama low? Uh, they don't come across my threshold. <laughs> they don't come. They don't come in my house. Right, but how would how do you let a person know like you're not welcome? I don't have to. They don't come. They just they're not invited. <laughs> you see, just knowing about uh, this uh, video that you're doing, you can see the people that really care about me who's trying to come over to see, to witness this. Uh, that's the kind of people I associate with. They have testimonies toward me if you want to talk to them, but you won't come in my house. You just won't get in. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. I won't invite you in, period. Yeah. Are you comfortable talking about a challenge? Because you mentioned how you had a hard childhood. Yes. Are you comfortable talking about any specifics to that? I think it's, um, I think it's, no, it's something I've shared. I've, I've talked about it to many people because human beings, they'll come in and they'll see material things. They don't know how you got to this point. Um, I don't have a problem. Is there anything you'd like to know about my past? <laughs> wow. Because your past can make you or break you, but it's up mm -hmm. to you to decide on how to correct these impacts that you get, these events that you get in life. But it's like as you get older, you realize that some of this had to happen to make the person you see now. And then the rest of it, I had to dissect and realize that what I could take out of it to make me a better person. And my goal mainly is to just, uh, if you need my conversation, if you need my spirit, if you uh, need my love or my respect, I'll give it to you. And I'll know if you deserve it because you'll, you'll come to me. You'll gravitate to me. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we were uh, out the other night. We had done our Christian duty. We had been at a circle meeting, and then we went to see a sick and shut-in person. And we were hungry. So we went and found a nice restaurant. A lot of young people, race doesn't matter, but they were white guys. And and so we got a seat and we were blessed to get those two seats. And so the guys looked at us and, oh, well, sit down, yes. And, oh, we suggest getting this and this. And we listened to them. And to make a long story short, we didn't keep a conversation going. But they would intercede once in a while, and pretty soon one young man had to tell me his story. What compelled him to tell me that he had been beat up because he was gay, and all his showing us all his injuries, his teeth wired up and stuff. And what made him do that? What made him open up to two 80-year-old ladies? 
sitting there just having an evening out, feeling we had felt we had accomplished something. And she and I was so much like, we felt good because we had accomplished something this evening. If it, just visiting a sister of the church uh, that's ill. And so we listened to him, and, and they kept hugging us. You see what I mean? Uh, did we invite them into our hearts, into our life? Yes, by giving them respect. And I think that's what we have lost, is acknowledging you and respecting your wishes that you just need to talk to me. And then he, they just needed to hug us. He must have hugged us three or four times. And then they said, I love you. I don't know what happens. I don't know what compels people to do that to myself or to my girlfriend. I know it happens. And it makes us feel good. We can't do nothing but be happy and glow because we helped somebody today. We listened to somebody. And just that's what I thrive on. I, if I help somebody, that would be better than a hundred dollars, because that wouldn't help me anyway. I need about a million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give me some. Give, don't give me some, some, some money. money. Yeah, give me some real money, okay? <laughs> Excuse my allergies. <laughs> but uh, and then you gotta have some humor. Oh my God, we're so serious, you know. <laughs> um. I just have to, you got to laugh a little bit. You just have to smile about it and laugh about it. And we've, my girlfriend, we've experienced some crazy things, but we just sit back and laugh about it. <laughs> and that's my angels ringing. Yeah. But do you want? Oh, it's okay. Um, but if you want my pass, I could, I could try to skip and do it briefly. Uh, I was born April second, nineteen thirty nine. I was eighty on April second of this year. I love you. And um, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, to my father, Odell Charles Brown, that was from Paris, Texas. My mother was Olivia Beatrice Brown, and she was born in Bryant, Texas. I believe my mother was an orphan. Um, she didn't talk about her past. She just said her parents or her father was killed uh, by the another culture. And so she had a lot of resentment. And she never felt she could fit in without being boisterous you know, bully type, you know. She wasn't even five feet. So anyway, the marriage didn't work out. So I remember two years old waiting to see my father. It was my birthday. So then I skipped to, I remember being about five years old, being in California and going to school uh, the first year. Element, uh, had to be kindergarten. And I feel in my heart that I met my best girlfriend there. And we were renting an apartment right across from the school. And then across from there was Phillips Chapel. And uh, had nothing to do with us at that time. And my father was married for the second time. We moved to Hearst Avenue in Berkeley. 
She had two children, my stepmother at that time. Uh, I don't know if we got along because I was only five years old. Uh, one day the doorbell rang and my real mother came. So I didn't know what she looked like or who she was, so I didn't let her in. So the next thing I knew, my father was talking with her, and she took me to Kansas City, Missouri. She was also expecting. And uh, then all I can, rem I can remember, everything from that day, because that was a chapter, more than one chapter in my life that impacted me forever because my real mother unfortunately didn't know what to do with children and uh, here she had a second child she was a living maid so when that when my brother was born she gave me him I had no toys and I was responsible I was responsible to the extent that I would be beaten if he wasn't taken care of properly now remember I'm about five or six years old and we were poor. And when you're poor and in the city, that's not a good place because you have to really scrounge around for food and and because nobody cares. You're in, you're in the, they call it the ghetto. Everybody's in the same boat. But you don't realize this. I have to emphasize, I didn't know I was poor. I didn't know I was missing a meal. I didn't know there were grocery stores. I didn't know how life could be on the other side. I just knew the present was my brother. My mother was a living maid. She worked in Independence, Missouri, and she'd be gone two days and a night, and that was my responsibility. If things weren't right, which was only living in one room, I would be beaten. And so even if the police was called, uh, she would tell them, well, I brought her into this world. I can take her out. So I'm still young. I don't know. This, I did something wrong. So I'm, I'm still too young to know what rebel is or to resentment or hatred. I'm, st I'm a child. So anyway, um, there was a lady named Mama Nettie that was coming to San Francisco with her living family that she lived with as a maid. And she found my father and told him what was going on. I guess my arm got broken or something. So she told my father of the abuse that my mother was inflicting on me. If nothing but physical, her main abuse was, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're feeble-minded. These were the main impact words I could hear almost every day. And she didn't always say it. She wrote it down in a Bible. She wrote it down how she felt about me. Why she got me, I don't know. Why she took me from her father, I don't know. But I can't dwell on it because she had five other kids, four other kids after me and my brother. Now, my brother's a different father. I'm the only child my father had. So he felt compelled to send his third wife that family lived in Kansas City, Missouri, but in the nice part, to see me. She talked to me. She's a beautiful lady. Weighed about 200 pounds, just beautiful personality. Her name was Helen. So she went back, came back to California. Next thing I knew, I was on a train in my Hopalong Cassidy. That was Western, okay, cowboy. And um, 
three days, two nights on the train from Kansas City, Missouri to Berkeley. And I remember just looking and feeling, okay, well, you know, not knowing what to expect. So my stepmother looked at me and she said, after a few days, what are you going to call me? Because I would just say, can I have such a, you know, I would just, wouldn't say mom. She'd say, well, you have a choice. I'm either your mother, you call me mother, and I know you're not calling me Miss Helen, <laughs> you know, so you don't have big choice too much to choose from. So you can call me mom, you know. And so that was her first rule. That I had to figure out what I had to call her. My father, not knowing what to do with me, neither one of them had children. He just sat in the background. He was one of Berkeley's first black businessmen in Berkeley. He is a superior janitorial service. And um, he loved, his hobby was carpentry, tearing up the house and remodeling. He loved it. That was his survivor. That's, that was his hobby. He loved it. And he was good at it. We had a tiny little two-bedroom house, and people would drive by at a big bay window, and I remember seeing him sit in a chair like this on Sundays, and people would drive by. And they'd come in because they wanted to see this cute little tiny house. And he would talk to them and let them come in, but he didn't really converse with me. So it was okay. I just looked. And then... Well, it was time I was so tiny, skinny. They had to it reinforce my, you know, my food, like put yeast in my milk, and I think I weighed about seventy-eight pounds, and that was this height. Well, I lost seven-eighths of an inch, but this height. So anyway, um, to see all this food was interesting. I didn't know what a grocery store was. Now I'm twelve years old when I come back. So I didn't know what a grocery store was or anything because in the area I lived in, we didn't have grocery stores. You know, I guess she had food stamps. I don't know how we got food, if we had food. And, um, you know, I guess very tight for that. But it was more the impact of the abuse, not the neglect of anything material because in her own way, she loved us. So I had to accept the way she was. And my father never said nothing negative about my mom. But her impact was so deep in me until they had to kind of protect me, or, you know, not say too much. Or They never talked about her. So when, when I was 15, I got hit by a car. And the first thing I said was, don't tell my mom, because I knew she'd come up to California and blow it up. <laughs> Even though she was protective, she was abusive. Don't understand, but that's the way she was. Um, so we got through that. My father was very low key. My stepmother was, you're seen, you're not heard. You speak when you're spoken to. Uh, carry yourself respectful. You sit a certain way. You talk a certain way. You select your friends. Matter of fact, she was so selective of my friends until we started a club called the Sophisticates. That way she knew who I was with, who I was associated with, and we all were going to Phillips Chapel Church. Not all of us did, or we were at Burbank Junior High School. So it was about 
12 of us, if that many. So that's how my life was controlled uh, with my friends. Maybe that's why I control my friends. I know I have to choose carefully who I want in my life. And my mother would tell me things like, oh, don't trust women, or oh, my real mother didn't trust women. She didn't like women. So you have all this little stigma, you know. So that's why I think maybe I got in the habit of choosing my friends. And the ones that I chose or we chose to be together, we were always pretty much on the same page. We didn't argue. We didn't do none of the negative things. We were always pretty uh, well-bred young ladies. We weren't from uh, high-end homes or anything, but we were raised to be respectful and to be ladies. And uh, that's what I have carried on, you know, with me is uh, trying to be as respectful and kind to people as I can. So that impacted my life a lot on how I was raised. And so I met my husband when I was 17, and um, we uh, went to the same high school, and we got married when I was almost 22. And uh, just emphasis on being a lady, so yes, uh, 22, almost 23, I was a virgin. I was a lady. Okay, my husband used to say, I've never seen a virgin before. <laughs> you should. <laughs> but anyway, that's a personal thing, but that's how we were raised. You just, you know, were ladies and carry yourself the right way. And unfortunately, I didn't have any girls. I had boys. I had lost twins, so I may have had been, could have had girls, I don't know. But I have two beautiful, handsome sons. And growing with my husband, um, from 17 on, we didn't know he was an alcoholic. And it ended up he was. That's what finally ended our marriage after about 27 years. Uh, just And see, he knew my weaknesses, so he would prey on those. And uh, he wanted to get back together, but I said, no, I have to, I have to find myself. If someone's abusive to you verbally or physically, you lose yourself. You have no self-confidence. Um, you just go along with the program. You be obedient as you're taught. You made your bed, you sleep in it, and you just keep on hanging in there. And finally, when we broke up, you know, I was almost 40. But it was okay. It was okay because once I became independent, I was like a, a teenager. I was so naive toward people because I like people. And I wanted to talk and, you know, mix. And I didn't drink, you know, because he kept that away from me. So I had to go to a school of hard knocks to learn that not everybody was my friend or not everybody wanted to listen to me or not everybody wanted to talk or just everybody had their own agenda. So I had to do a lot of growing in my 40s uh, to get to this point. But my spirit was never broken because I start writing down things. You know, why me? The self-pity went into writing. You know, what did I do to deserve this? Or 
I don't understand people, you know, because I wanted to be nice and kind. And people was just trying to walk all over me. <laughs> or not in big ways because it couldn't get too big because I was watching them, you know. So anyway, um, I think all that experience in my life, instead of taking it negatively, I just hung in there because I had to survive. I had to do it for my children's sake because of their father being alcohol. I had to set an example as my parents set an example for me. They didn't just tell me how to walk that talk. They did it. They weren't really clean, I found out 30, 40 years later, but I didn't know that, and I believed in what they said. And they gave me respect as a child, as a human being. And I think that's a lot of things we do wrong, too. We don't give our children that respect. You know, we're trying to be parents. We don't know what we're doing, but we're doing the best we can. Some of us carried on, you know, from the way we were raised. My determination was not to raise my children the way I was raised. So I used to tell my kids, don't provoke me to whip you. I don't, I don't want to whip you because I may not know how to stop. And I don't want you to, I don't want to be like my mother. And I, I always told them that. So they, I had good children, good sons, you know. They did their thing, minor things, you know. And I'd look at them and I'd talk to them. And you know what they would say? Just whoop me, Mom, because they didn't want me to talk. <laughs> Just, here's the belt. Just whoop me. <laughs> my talking, we call it preaching, because I can get to gabbing and talking, and my words can be impact, and I know that. They could be sharp. They could be crude, but I didn't call them negative words, names, or nothing like that. It's like, you don't do that. What's your problem? I give you everything you can possibly need in life. But there's a certain amount of respect that you have to have to me, to this home, and yourself. So you don't do this. Oh, here we go preaching again, Mom. Just whoop me. Just go ahead over me. <laughs> so I don't know if that helped you to understand how I got to this point. Because a lot of it was just survival and picking out things and choosing my friends. And I have people that go by me all the time. And But like we did, that was just a week ago, these guys hugged us and told us they loved us. I don't refuse that, because they needed that. They needed to talk, they needed someone to listen, and they needed empathy, not sympathy. They needed encouragement. So it makes me happy. It makes me feel so good to, my simple way of thinking can impact someone. Was there a time in your life where forgiving your blood mother had to happen for you to continue as a never. joyful being? Never. No. I never had any resentment. And I heard my baby, my youngest sister, said, uh, because we were all raised apart, but my mother was determined that they knew who I was. And so... I mean, started right when I first got married. And my husband and I looked at each other and like, we're not going to do this. We're not raising <laughs> our sisters and brothers. We got to deal with ourselves. Because he was one of ten, I think it was. So um, they would come and, and visit from young children up. 
uh, young, yeah, all the way till they are grown. You know, they come visit, but they didn't think I was real. And they finally moved from Kansas City to uh, Los Angeles uh, to Oceanside, Camp Pendleton, because two or three of them were military. So my mother moved out that, uh, you know, from Kansas City, Missouri, to there. So I was able to visit. I never went back to Kansas City. Uh, it was so, uh, what, uh, of a nightmare that I thought I had dreamt, that I had no desire. Uh, my mother, I said, if, even if my mom died, I won't go. I just can't handle it. I thought I would still see this ghetto. I saw people get killed. I saw blood. I just saw too much uh, of life as a child that stayed in my memory bank that I thought I would see it. So I had, there was two sisters I had. So one sister died at 40 something. And my mother said, well, all of you go. And I said, mom, I don't want to, but you're asking me to. So I'll be obedient. And this was Helen? No, my real mother. Yeah, to go see her uh, uh, fourth child, my sister. So, anyway, I don't say half and all. The same mama, my sisters. So, anyway, I went, and she says, I know you're scared. She said, but I'm going to show you something. All that you lived, how you lived, we lived in one rooms or rooming boards or abandoned buildings. Uh, They're not there anymore. And so I looked. And it was a cleaned up. It was a new place. It was just different. And she says, and I'm going to take it to see Herman, which was uh, a stepfather. And to me, he was a gorgeous, big guy. And when I saw him, he was a tiny little American Indian guy. But he was a big guy to me. And I made a mistake and said, Dad, one time, she said, you don't call him. He's not your dad. So I was, you know, so when I saw him, it was amazing to see him so tiny and the the town was so cleaned up you know um, 8th, 9th street and uh, they have it on records this area that I lived in that was rough we didn't play matter of fact I used to carry a switchblade knife and one day I pulled it out my dad went oh, oh what are you doing I said it's just a knife well we don't do that here okay and I said, well, in Kansas City, you have to protect yourself. <laughs> so he took it from me. And that, you know, shortly after I was here. But my sister said when we were talking one day, she's, she's the baby, and she says, don't talk about mom like that. She says uh, she did the best she could. So when I listened to her, I said, she's right. I've never ever had any animosity but I did have to try to grow up I was about 50 years old and my mother attacked me she was trying to beat me and attack me and she was angry about something so she got, we got in my car visiting in Oceanside and I took her to find my brother and she said something about God <laughs> and I looked at my mom and I said you know what and I was like, God, forgive me for saying this, but you're the biggest hypocrite I have ever met. How can you use so much profanity and hatred and then talk about God? I don't understand that. I'm confused. So do me a favor. Don't use God's name anymore. 
don't do that. And so when I found my brother, <laughs> I said, come here. And I just said, take your mother out of my car. That's as painful and as hurtful as I could get. Take your mother out of my car. And my mother looked at me, and she just shrunk. She just shrunk in front of me, and I wasn't afraid of her anymore. I didn't have to be as obedient or submissive to the beatings, and I was 57 years old. Remember this. I wasn't a child, and she was still attacking me. Once I said that and she got out of my car, I said, God, forgive me. I thought, sure, I was going to die because I was being disobedient. I was wrong. But I had to save myself. And she had to know the impact that she was doing to me. I'm a grown person with grown children. You can't do this anymore. She would talk about her grandchildren, call so many negative names. One day I came up on her and I grabbed her and I hugged her. I said, how can you do this? We're already the minority in this earth, on this earth. We already have people against us. How can you talk about your own grandchildren, call them all these names and stuff? And she was squirming. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to let go of you. Oh, no. I'm 57 years old. You need to tell me that you love me for the first time in your life. Just tell me you love me, and I'll be at peace. She squirmed, and finally she started crying. She said, I do love you. And after that, it was no hatred anyway, but I felt better about myself. I knew that she did the best she could, the only way she knew. So I never hated my mother. I never resented her. I loved her even more. And she didn't care for my stepmother, Helen, the one that raised me. But Helen didn't care. That's part of me. She'll get over it. So my real mother had a stroke in Oceanside, and my stepmother had gone to visit and stay with her to help her in Los Angeles. So I went to the convalescent home to see my mom, and my stepmother went with me. Here they are, both in wheelchairs. And my mother could barely talk, but she was so happy to see me. I knew she loved me, because she would just, I could light her up. And she was mumbling something. And I said, I love you. And I said, look who's here. And they just smiled and talked to each other. But I figured out she wanted some fried chicken, so we left my sister and one of my brothers to find some chicken. And when we came back, they had fed both of them <laughs> in the wheelchair. And before we left, I was, you know, going in my purse to make sure I had the money. And my stepmother had me a corn purse that I have to this day. She said, here, take this money and buy some chicken. See, my stepmother didn't carry animosity. My stepmother showed me love and respect. She had a lot to do with who I am today. And those two people, those two mothers, my mothers, made me feel so proud and so good. Tell That's why I'm the mother to so many. I got two people up here now that I'm their mother. I got you. I'm your mother. 
If that's the title I get for giving you love and respect, I'll take it. That's better than an auntie, you know? So no, no animosity. I took care of my mother. Everything she needed, I bought it. And I also needed a, a mother, another mother. So my best girlfriend's mother, she was my mother. My best girlfriend is more like my sister because I was raised by myself. So all my girlfriend had to do was say, my mom, and I'd be there. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her mother, and there's nothing her or her family would not do for me. They, you know, we're bonded. When you find that love and respect, I think it's respect. Don't you think? I think so, yeah. I think that's what we're lacking. That respect for human beings, each other as human beings. That's what I think is amazing when I hear you talking about your real mom. You respected her. And to know everything you went through. She respected me. That's hard for me to see. But now I hear it. Yeah. My stepmother gave me the respect. She gave my real mother respect. Right. But that's only your real mother. So did your real mother respect you at, at the, the end? Because she knew she was kind of dependent on us now. Right. And when I got married and moved here, from Los Angeles to here, uh, I called her because my sister had taken her back to Kansas City and left her. I was very disappointed in that, so I caught up and found her. And I could barely understand her. I said, I'm going to get you. If I had known my sister was going to take you away from California, I would never allow that. There's convalescent homes not far from me. I'm going to get you. And she said, good. And she died a week later. And so I asked what happened. And they said she died of a broken heart. She was lonely. Because she had done so much damage to her grandchildren and people till no one was there for her. I don't want that. I don't, I don't have a fear of that. But no, no. I love my mother to the end and to this very moment. Both my mothers. I talk to them all the time. I entertain. I feel like the spirits are here. And it's not a spooky, scary thing. When we die, we become a spirit. We're here. We're you can feel, you can feel your dad's spirit. You know he's looking over you. You can feel certain relative spirits that are saying, "I see you." It's gonna get better. It's gonna be all right. Don't you ever feel that sometimes? You just look like this and wonder what's going on. Somebody's spirit's talking to you. But I want to be a spirit now, so I could. <laughs> What's the right time of the season? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tell him I'm watching you. <laughs> Do you ever, like you talked about journaling and how you put all that pity and victim thought into your paper? Did you ever have a conversation with God? Like, why? Why this story? Why did that chapter have to? No, you don't question God. Yeah. No, that's a mistake. And I think one time I questioned him, and, and it spooked me. Like, we use that word, spooked you. And I said, oh, I wonder why such and such, or who did such and such, and it happened to me. 
And I, if it come in my head, I go, I didn't say, I didn't think it. <laughs> I didn't mean, I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm serious. Sounds funny, but it impacted me enough. Like, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know. No, 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 no. Um, I just, no. <laughs> Were there any moral lessons that you as a mom with your two sons like day by day you feel like you were living that you hope that if nothing else they grow up with this being alive in them well I realized that they were individuals I realized they were human and I realized they're going to do their thing just because I wasn't allowed to express myself because I had a control more control uh, of life than they did and I wanted to be controlled because I was happy to be from excuse me being from where I lived before to where I was now I didn't mind being controlled so I was very obedient and happy and blessed and, oh god you know anything is better than where I came from as far as my children I knew they were individuals I I could see it so quickly and they're five years apart but I had five years to deal with one personality and then get to the other personality. So different. And so I just did the best I could. I just, I hated to divorce as they were entering an uh, adult age because I found even at that age it was an impact on your child. But I also feel to any woman, don't stay in a marriage, just for your children because they will survive they will make it they'll be alright because what you put the surroundings that you have for your children will impact them it will affect them period there's no ifs ands but it's going to affect them negatively positively it's going to affect them so if one of those parents unhappy and it spills over to the children then you need to get out. Now with me, I didn't argue. I didn't fight. They didn't, my, my kids, they have never heard me raise my voice. And if I did, it was one word, their name. And if I call their name, they know they're in trouble. <laughs> okay? That's the way I didn't, even with my husband, it was like, this is it. You know? Just one word. Is there anything you could say that helps retain hope in an individual's life, no matter what that individual's experiencing? Don't give up on them. You just got to keep praying and don't give up on yourself. Because my oldest son, well, my youngest son put me through health problems because he had serious health problems, heart and everything. He had two major surgeries before he was five years of age. And um, so that was had to strengthen me and help make me be a, a better person, help me to grow up and not show fear and stay strong. Okay, you'll be all right. And go over here and go, oh, God, please help me. <laughs> you know, but over here, I'm going, yeah, no problem. It's, it's cool. Everybody got a zipper, you know, for his open heart surgery or whatever. And then my other son, more was impacted by his father. So he got that little weakness and uh, 
from him as far as looking up to him and following him. But I just had to pray for both of them. I had to kind of remove myself from both of them to save myself. I wasn't going to be any good staying there and watching them drown. I had to be removed from the picture. And it was not my decision, but it was God's decision to take me away from my marriage. My father on his deathbed said, your marriage is not too good. You better be prepared. And I listened to his words on his deathbed. So I would start to work. I didn't have to work. Prepared myself to be a strong female individual and independent. That I didn't have to go to court and say I want this and this. I didn't do my husband that way. Whatever. But you got the children. They're grown. They need a father. They need a male image. They got me. They got my female impact on them. They know what mama do and won't do. But they needed that male. So I, I thought it would help them being with him. It wasn't the best decision. But they know what's best. They know how to act. They know what's wrong. They know when they do wrong. They know when they see something negative come up that that's not what they should do. Maybe they can't help at that moment. But they'll look at me and say something to me and I go, you know, that's not the right way to do it or to handle it. You're a better person than that. So all that is part of experiencing. I hated to see them that way, but I had to get strong. I was just used up. I had to grow and mature and learn something about life. Or else I couldn't have shared or helped anyone else. I couldn't help myself unless know my own children. So it wasn't easy being 47 years old and growing up. Just being that immature and growing up, it was not easy. But thank God I'm a survivor. I have a plaque that I gave to one of my adopted daughters that said the only man that's head of household here is God. He's the only person. I know he carried me all the way. A human being couldn't have done done it by themselves. They had to have God with them. And I don't go to church every Sunday, but God is in my heart. He's in my mind. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I know what I'll do. I know what I won't do. That's my decision. And my decision is just be peaceful, to be happy, to, if you listen to me, I'm going to talk you to death. I'm going to tell you stuff. And you may not hear it today, but I bet if you ask a few people in this room, they'll say, but I heard you because it just happened. Could have been two or three years ago I said it. But that's because I've been there. As we used to say, been there and done that. We're not playing. We have been there and done that. If you just listen to me, I don't say you have to make your life boring. you you got to experience some things to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. You make those chapters interesting. But you can be aware of them. And then you can protect yourself from them. You can say, oh, I know not to do this. It, it will pass. That's a paragraph. Let me go on to the next paragraph. 
because it's just another phase of my life, another chapter, another paragraph, another sentence. Keep going through those pages and get to the next chapter because it may be very interesting. And I tell you what, it's fun being 80. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to here <laughs> to this point. I am so blessed. I just don't know what to do. I'm just ecstatic because I used to think my parents were old and they were probably like 39, 40. They were so reserved and laid back and comfortable. And I thought, boy, they're so boring. And see, when you young folks see me, they go, you're how, what, you're 80? How am I supposed to act? I don't know. All I know is my spirit is moving. My spirit is talking. My spirit is embracing you and saying, I love you. I respect you. What do you want me to do? But you got to be able to help yourself, too. I'm not going to just pick you up. I got to see that you want to help yourself. And that gives me the energy to help you even more. Because that way, I'm strengthening your thoughts. Okay, you're on the right track. Let's see what we can do with this. Well, maybe, you know, because I don't suggest, I don't tell you what to do. I just talk. And you take out of what I say. And use it what's best for you. I don't like giving advice. Is there anything you'd recommend for me as a father for being a wise father for my two daughters? Um, do the best to set an example for them, but also tell them you're not perfect. They know that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to make mistakes, so don't hold that against me because I, <clears throat> I am human. Excuse me, <coughs> but give them a lot of attention. Yeah. <coughs> Do you want some of your water? I think so. Yeah. Okay, excuse my sippy cup. It's my favorite. <laughs> One of my children gave it to me. <coughs> and it's been all the way to Nicaragua. How you pronounce that? Yeah. <laughs> this allergy is kicking me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Um, I think you'll communicate with them more as they get older. How old are they? 21 and f about to be 14. How old? 21 and about to be 14. December she'll be 14. Okay, the 20, the 14 year old, you got some, you still got. Uh, steps to go through because she has steps to go through. She got to get through her adolescence. She's got to grow. She's got hormones that are going to get her as a woman, as a female. So it's not going to be easy as pie with a, a teenager. But uh, a young adult that she's 22, I just keep encouraging her. You know, maybe she might not make it this time. That's something she chose, but it's a lot of choices out there, good choices in her career or her education. Don't put so much emphasis that you've got to go to college and you've got to do this. 
The only thing she's got to do is be a decent person and survive in this world. And if she's going to have to work, she need to work in an area that she's comfortable with. I don't believe in no one working in any field if they don't like it. I'm, I'm telling doctors, lawyers, whatever. I tried being in the office, didn't like it. Couldn't handle being with a bunch of women. But I found being in public and working customer service and management level and in sales, I liked it. First of all, I'm honest. I'm not going to try to sell you something just for a commission. But I tried to say, I, I like these, but can you try something else? You know. So I'm trying to say, whatever field they go in, tell them to be the best. Whatever it is. It could be a salesperson. I was a salesperson. But I moved further up from salesperson to a commission area to management level to customer service. And my best time is being a customer service because you help with problems or they come in with attitudes. So tell them to pick the career that they're comfortable with. Some of them you can pay to go to private schools for them. Some of them you may have to go to school forever, eight years, five years or whatever. But don't hold that against them. Encourage them. I wasn't a college type person. And I did go to junior college for a minute when they had them. But I found the simplest thing was these business machines, which were called comptometers and adding machines. And I wasn't good at math, but when I got on those machines, I could figure out anything. And like I said, then I went to the office and I was okay, but I couldn't be confined. I, I have to talk. I got to walk around. So it ended up being sales was good for me. And I was, you know, I made good money doing it because I stayed in commission. So encourage them to be what they really, really want to be. And just listen to them. And don't criticize so much. Just, just let them vent on you. Sometimes they just want to vent. And you may go, Ugh. God, I want it. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's too much information. But you got to do it. That's what I say. You got to do it. You have to listen to them. Because they may be crying out for help or they're confused. You know, Just listen to them and encourage them. Is there anything that hasn't been said that you'd like to bring up? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel honored and pleased. I'm sorry I got this hay fever or allergies going on. Yes, I know you want me to cry, but I'm not. Ah. I'm stronger than that. <laughs> I'd rather laugh than cry, okay? But um, I'm just thankful. I, I, I was honored and surprised that you picked me. I don't know if anyone knows why you picked me, but it, I haven't really seen these pictures of me riding a horse. <laughs> but yes, I did, and I loved it. I believe in embracing every moment that you're in experiencing something. I was embracing riding that horse. I was, like, felt free. 
we went through the jungle, then we went on the beach, we went on the water, and I felt like a movie star. I felt like I'm so blessed. Uh, you don't have to be a movie star to be blessed, but I felt so blessed to experience this. And I've ridden a horse before, and uh, and I love horses, but it was like I never had a bucket list. But if that had been on it, yeah, I was fulfilled. The area was beautiful. Your your uh, mother's uh, condo was absolutely fabulous. She wants me to move there into her home, <laughs> and uh, it was like paradise. It was like I can. I'm blessed to experience this. Sometimes we don't think we can ever experience that. Uh, going to a, a a beach home and and experiencing something beautiful that you'd never think you can afford. One of my daughters uh, took me to, to. We rented a beach house. Never thought I would do something like that. I said, you know, black folks, we don't like all that water and sand and stuff. You know, I'll go watch you, but I ain't getting in the ocean, okay? And I did, but she got me in the water, too. She got me in the ocean, and I was screaming and hollering. But she said, but, Mom, you can do it. And once I relaxed and listened, I embraced the moment. And she couldn't stop me from finding seashells. I was just all in there looking for seashells. So you have to learn to just embrace the moment. I, I love to travel because you can experience things that you read in your geography book, but even history books. Uh, you can't visualize what you read unless you have a good vision. The simplest is, I used to hear about New York, and I finally moved there and lived for two years. But you just kept seeing all these memos and yellow cabs and, oh, that's the movie stars. Or they have to be rich to be a, in a town car and come to find out that's the way of life, okay? They can't get around any other way but a yellow cab or a town car or a limo. It's not rich. It's convenience. So that's a small learning thing that what you admire from a distance doesn't mean you can't experience it, but you need to go over there if it's healthy and experience it and you see it's the norm. It's the norm for that area, for that state or that country. And the more a person travels and experiences other people's cultures, the better impact you are in feeling, oh, I love my home. I'm so happy to be home and to have this. And you, you feel like when I was there and we were in uh, Granada and um, your mom had said, oh, no, that was, uh, I said, Nicaragua? Mm -hmm. I wanted to give to children. And she said, don't do that. And I said, well, but they, it's so hot. It's just so hot. They need some ice cream. And she says, don't do that. She said, if you give to two, you're going to see five, 15 more coming. They'll just come out and you don't know where they're hiding. And you can't do that because you can't feed everybody. I said, okay. So we were now in Granada at this villa. Can you imagine I was at a villa? That sounds so rich. Okay. And it was like a swimming pool. You open the doors and you just, the swimming pool is there. And I was like, oh, did I die and go to heaven? This is just a dream or a fantasy that I never thought I would experience. But 
I was experiencing it. So the way people lived, I found out was normal. It's just normal. This is a third world country. They're just not up to the 20th century or whatever, however you say it. So we're in this little store that feels like a mom and pop store in America. Very tiny, narrow. And this young lady comes in with a baby. Oh, I just, oh, can I just touch it? Can I just play it as here? She just gave me the baby. It's only in a diaper. So I'm holding this baby. Ooh, cooey. Pretty soon I feel wet, okay? So it's okay. We'll be all fine. <laughs> I'm talking to this baby. And then out of the corner of my, my eye, I see the mom go down the aisle and comes back. There's only one aisle in that store. It's so tiny. With one disposable diaper. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no. And I was, I couldn't shut up. I was saying it out loud. Oh, no, I can't have this. So she paid for it. I gave her back her baby and said, wait, not not one moment to wait. Come. And I took her down to the aisle and I bought that whole bag of diapers to the counter. And I was going to count them. And I said, no, we we can't do this. We just got to get some diapers here. So I said, I want these to the gentleman. He counted them because the package had been open. And so came to $9 and something. No, I'm sorry, $7 and something. I gave him $10 American. He gave me back change. I handed her those package of diapers, and I handed her the change, and I was in seventh heaven. It was like I had won a million dollars. I felt so good that I was just able to help one person. Just God just allowed me to do one little thing. It's like I have to. I had this crown, and I got to get these diamonds and rubies in it, and it was just making me complete. You know, I have to get complete. I'm not complete yet, and I still have spaces to help people. And she, you know, nodded, and and uh, realized I was wet, and I was kind of fanning and trying to see <laughs> if I smelled. <laughs> Didn't smell like pee. I was like, was that? disposable diaper washed because there was no smell. So I got back to the villa and I, I told your mom. Well, I thought someone had squealed on me because your mom had already said, I can't do this. <laughs> so she looked at me. She said, what'd you do? I said, what'd you mean what I do? Did I do something wrong? What'd you do? You're looking at me funny and I'm looking at her and she's looking at me like I was just all over my face. I guess I was glowing again, Okay. I said, well, so I told her what it did, and she said, Addie, that was a good thing. We're trying to teach uh, parent planhood, and you know, all about babies and children and these young children. I said, I just couldn't help myself. I said, but I, f- I floated for two days. I was just floating that I was able to just help one person. I was just upset that I couldn't. I didn't think to buy more. She said, "No, you did enough." <laughs> I should have bought. No, she said, "You did enough." That's what makes me live. That's what makes me happy to share something with someone that I know appreciates it. You gotta appreciate my gifts. You gotta respect my gifts. You have to desire my gifts. 
And that way you'll always remember me. Hopefully that child will always remember me because she was young. And there were two other children, young, young. And I didn't look at them. I, I didn't, I didn't, I had to focus on this baby that didn't have any choice. It wasn't complaining. It wasn't crying. And it let me hold it like I was his mama. So it was meant to be. That's what I'm talking about. That's what makes me happy. It makes me just glow. And the more I share, the more I give, the more talk that I can ex uh, tell people about my experiences in life, that's what makes me happy. That's what makes Miss Addie, a grandma Addie, or a mom, or mother. Those are the names I have. And I love every one of them. And if you're really in my life, I'm not going to let go of you. I tell all of them, you, once I adopt you, you're not going anywhere. I will not neglect you or forget you. You'll always be in my life. I'm not a, out. They think, they say I'm outgoing, but I'm not going to go out there and do all this. No. It's when our spirits come together and I can feel your spirit is good and it's necessary, then we'll be just fine. You'll always be welcome. You'll always be loved and you'll always be respected as one of my children. And I doubt if you ever do something against me because I'm going to get you if you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I feel. That's the way I talk to them. They know it. You know? That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me glow. And I, when you said you were just glowing, I said, I was. So I got tickled. I said, but you just don't know me and that horse. <laughs> I was like, I hope everything stays in me. <laughs> you know, because I was just riding. Okay, I thought I was somebody on that horse. But I felt good. And I just appreciate you asking me and inviting me to hear my story I hope it'll help someone because I don't know what to say. I was like to my son Anthony, "What? I don't. I'm not special. I'm not. This is just your mom. Just do it. Maybe you'll help somebody else." So this is my purpose, not to brag, just to give you respect, and maybe together God put us together for a reason. Now, if it's just. Having my friends here, my daughters, my adopted friends and children here, if it's just having, and you, it's been a while since you've been here. So last time I saw you was at the comedy club, okay? So it was just getting us together. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave, but boy, we're going to have fun today. We're going to embrace each other and love each other, respect each other, and we're going to eat <laughs> and be happy. And that's what makes me happy. It makes me glow. That glow you're looking for, it, I hope it's there because I'm sweating. <laughs> I should say perspiring. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just hope someone will benefit from this. Because uh, especially as women, I want them to be strong and independent. No, they are so you don't need anyone but God to survive in this world. He's the only person that will not let you down. He carried me all this distance and he will continue to. 
even if I have a human being by my side, God is the main man. He's the main person that takes care of me and makes me happy. I'm so blessed, so blessed. I'm healthy. I'm just blessed. At 80, you want me to dance for you? I can show you how I can get out <laughs> I'm just teasing. But no, I'm happy. I'm just truly blessed. And then here you are, one of my children that want to do this. That's the icing on the cake. Every time I say it's the icing on the cake, it can't get any better. Here comes something else, okay? And I go, okay, God, I'm not ready to go yet. You're just bestowing all these beautiful things on me. I'm not ready to go yet, so let me keep enjoying and living and sharing. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can I deduce my best girlfriend? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to chat, Bob? Yeah. She can sit right, she can sit right okay. here on the corner. She's got a little more hips than I do. Okay, but we're all right. Is that okay? This is good. Okay. Okay, I'm Barbara Blue, and Addie and I have been the best of friends since we were about 10 or 12 years old. But as you can see, what a beautiful lady she is. And I've just been blessed to have a friend like her. She's been there for me for so many reasons. My mother lived to be 110 years old. I'm sorry, 103. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I needed someone to help me with my mother, she was there. She was there before my sisters were. But of course, we were both kind of retired. So when I got ready to travel, she'd come and stay with my mother. She would come and do my mother's hair. She would bathe my mother, and she took Annie through some changes as well. But it was, we laid on the floor cry and laughed together. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I always say, if you do your best in life, God will do the rest. And I think he has put all these crowns in her to give her the energy to be there for other people, yeah. you know. And we both try to do the same thing. Yeah, we do. But God has blessed us in so many ways. We have beautiful family. We have a friendship that's worth money could never buy. And I just had to get into the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and she always says, I love you, and I'll say, I love you back. And, you know, we just, we think a lot of ways we think alike. We have looked at something and both started laughing at the same Don't have time. to say a so word, just look at each other, other. just, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like, our spirits are one. <laughs> our spirits are one. And not everybody can find that in life. You know, if you can find one good friend. I mean, she, we don't bend over backwards for each other to uh, cooperate or agree. We just agree. And if we don't like something, we don't say it in a rude way. We just say, well, girlfriend, you better think about that again. <laughs> you know? And then you laugh and giggle about it. And sure enough, maybe it wasn't the right decision. But she has never did, uh, just never criticized me or downed me for the things I wanted to do and experience in life, and I think that's important. Yeah. Sometimes we just have to go through it, you know? We just have to go through it as human beings. We don't want our life boring. We have to have <laughs> a little excitement. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> look, yes. Look, 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 so they're ready. <laughs> it's a beautiful for you.